recording. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now I'm recording. So let's see if you can do it twice. Are we ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, go. Hey, this is Mukunda from yourwellnessyogi.com, and you're listening to Jeff Smith from Vroom Vroom Beer. Woo! Good job. And no Thank echo. You. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, be, I'll go away for a second, and I'll be right back. Yes, sir. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Marty McDonald, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going, man? Oh, it's going great. I'm really looking forward to it, Jeff. And uh, I always have uh, great times doing all sorts of podcasts, but your format's got me uh, a little fired up today. I looked in just to have a great chat and we'll go from there. Yeah. So talk a little bit about uh, badrhinoinc.com and, uh, and what you've got going on that you're excited about today. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I have going on. Um, it seems that way once you take uh, a plunge into entrepreneurial land. Sure. Um, every day is always feel like that, and that's pretty much why I've chosen that. Is I like uh, I like the variety and the challenges that come up all the time. But you know, we've been in business for seven years in social media marketing. We're an agency that focuses and leads with social media, not right. that we don't do everything else that kind of relates us to a digital marketing agency, but we focus primarily on the social aspect and how it fits into your marketing plan. And we've had great success over the last seven years and hope to continue that in the future. And uh, right now I'm super excited because I just put my first book out there. Um, oh, just hit congratulations. Amazon yesterday. Wow, yeah. wow. What yeah, timing. <laughs> Good for you. Um, so I just got a big box of them in in the office and been uh, getting them out the door and it's called great beer is not enough. Um, and I it's love marketing it. Oh, around that's craft, the best. Craft beer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had a, a great craft beer client for a while and we've taken that knowledge and turned it into a few other clients, but I want to put a book out there. Uh, one of my passions is craft beer. I don't know what that tells you about me, but a lot it tells of people me a say lot different of, things. <laughs> it tells me a lot because I used to homebrew. So, oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, sure homebrew. I had a couple of buddies that did it and it's yeah. some good batches and some bad batches. Of but, course. Um, I like it from the aspect of pulling communities together and mm. people together. Right. And that's really what social media is all about. And it's why it's drawn me into having my own agency within social media. And I like that aspect of community building, um, mm. both small business arena as well as online. Yeah. Okay, so this is Vroom Vroom Veer. So part of what Vroom Vroom Veer is all about is talking about transitions, but we also like tiptoe through the tulips of your life. So let's go back in time and talk about uh, Marty McDonald's childhood. So where did you go? Where did you grow up, and and what sort of things did you do as a youngster? Say before uh, high school. Youngster. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll go all the way back. I mean, I'm yeah, go almost. All. 40. Yeah, I'm almost 42, so we're in 2017, so I was born in 1975. Um, two great parents, you know, I don't, 
you know, you can always talk about your parents like, oh, they were perfect and you mm. ignore the warts. But I saw the warts. I saw the good stuff. I saw the bad stuff and two great people that always tried their best. And that was right. really instilled in me all the time is you have to try your best. Mm. And um, but no, I mean, I was a normal shy kid. Um, I broke my arm when I was five. I have wow. one leg that was I was one leg shorter than the other, so I had a lift and a and a cast walking in the first grade or no kindergarten, mm. and um, you know, so like you have like those things that stick with you in memories. But I was quiet kid at times. I was also a loud kid. Now that sounds like um, totally different, <laughs> right? <laughs> pieces, right? Yeah, yeah. But for the most part, I was like you know this little quiet shy kid and. Um, at school, but you know, outside of school, I think I was a little bit different and grew up and did normal things. I played soccer. Um, I always would like play street hockey. It was outside quite often. In fact, yeah, yeah. my mom would always make us go outside. Right. We weren't allowed to <laughs> sit around. You know? That's the and, Generation X thing, really, because yeah, nowadays it, it's like every everything's overly scheduled and 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 requires safety equipment for kids <laughs> I know. Like, I when we were that, kids like, right they would they would kick us out of the house and uh they, and not leave at 7 a.m and yeah. not come back till it was till dark, dark. And, right maybe you swing was, by for lunch <laughs> yeah no we had to check in once a day that was the rule right okay you had to swing by at sometime between like a around lunchtime yeah um not only were you hungry but you had to check in right. and uh we just go off and, I mean, I did a lot of that stuff, you know, uh, walking in the woods and riding yeah. your bike through things and yeah. riding your bike where you're not supposed to and then playing baseball and pick up football games and, and things like that. And you were in Pennsylvania too? Yeah, just outside of Philadelphia. Okay. Most of gotcha. Yep. See, I was in, uh, I was in Michigan, so I can oh, imagine, cool. yeah, our, our childhoods were very similar. I was born in 69, so we're pretty okay. close. <laughs> I didn't see the big difference until, like, say, like the late '80s, early '90s, when I start meeting people that were born in that, where there seemed to be more structured. Like my sister, who's eight years younger than I am, mm -hmm. she had a little bit more structure in terms of activities that she did. She was she did different activities like dance and things like that, but right. she was like a little bit more structured in that, but not much more. She still did the same stuff. We're hanging out with friends till all hours of the day and night it seems like you know even though right. it was probably like 8 30 at night not like 10 or 11 but yeah. you know doing all those things and hanging out in a neighborhood and you know having fun that way where all the neighborhood kids would hang out during the day and even in the early evening uh, yeah and different. It, was, it was before video games and vcrs and dvd babysitters <laughs> yeah, I, really didn't get into, I didn't really even get into video games until i was like in high school because right. the basic ones were still around and we were we had them like atari and television but they were never something that could <laughs> really pull you yeah they could never really pull you in a hundred percent and then the games got more advanced pretty quickly in the early 90s and right. then they just kept going you know right. like now i look at them i'm like this doesn't even feel like a game it feels like i'm like controlling a real person on a football field you know right 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 oh they they games got so much more amazing i remember having like a coleco head-to-head -head football and things like that <laughs> those those little like single purpose electronic games that were kind of like pong <laughs> yeah <laughs> just little led lights you know that you move around on a screen uh yeah mm -hmm. that's good times <laughs> So, okay, so you grow up and you're kind of a quiet, shy kid, right? Um, for the most part. Okay, so mm -hmm. then uh, who did you hang out when you got to high school? 
Were you still like a, a quiet, shy guy or did you come out of your shell a little bit? Yeah, you know, it's funny is um, I look back on it as I was a quiet, shy guy. And right. then I, I, was, I was friends with everybody, you know. I was uh-huh. always like friends with everybody, but I was never really like into hanging out with everybody. And it's interesting with my high school experience, which I liked. I wasn't like... Oh, I hated high school or I was like, oh, I was miserable. Sure. I just like keeping like my friends pretty close and I never like getting involved in any drama. <laughs> you know? No, like, okay. Yeah, I get you. And right. I learned, I was, I wouldn't say I was, you know, super mature for my age, but a little bit more um, and not knocking anybody I went to high school with who might be listening to this. Right. Um, but I always felt like I would rather read a book or hang out quietly on a Friday night. I still did a lot of the other stuff. It wasn't like I was a hermit. And, right. But I started to grow out of that when I got um, in the senior year in high school and getting out into a quote-unquote real world. But I had jobs through high school. I okay. worked on the weekends. I um, I enjoyed like quiet time. I still do. I still like to be alone with my own thoughts and I don't know whether it's a sign of maturity, craziness, or you like yourself, but that's a combination all thereof. I like to be, um, you need some solitude. I do. I do. I need it quite often. Gotcha. So that was kind of like high school. I was a little bit like that. I I know what you're talking about with the, with the drama thing. I remember Mm -hmm. when I was in, in high school, um, uh, I had one, girlfriend in in the four years of high school that was from my own school and it was such a pain in the butt Mm -hmm. because there was like now all of a sudden i had this job called a girlfriend (laughs) that i had to see in between i had to meet her like you know every every break in between class we had to meet you know and catch Mm -hmm. up and i was like oh this sucks <laughs> so I wasn't the too ab- you learn Yeah, I wasn't life. too upset when that didn't that didn't last forever. I was like, "Phew." <laughs> and yeah. then I made a rule, never date women from your own high school. So <laughs> there were like two other schools, and you mm-hmm. know, then I only had the after school commitment, right? And this was before okay. cell phones. So yep. Yeah, and I was a bit of an ambassador too. So I had like my core group of nerd friends and then and then but we would hang out in different groups yeah and that that's i mean i went to a smaller private high school so there was Mm. only like 150 of us i think it was the number or a little tiny bit less wow that's pretty small yeah yeah um in a big area too you know like it's not like i lived in the middle of nowhere i lived just outside of a major city in the united states and right right um i think it when i did interact with people i never really saw like oh well joe plays football or right you know chris plays hockey and or you know somebody was doing this i was always friendly with everybody um i didn't necessarily want to be involved with any of the bs drama like we just talked about right and i avoided it and i think when i look back on it sometimes i'm like eh, i was kind of probably a little weird at times but everybody is you know you're, you're growing up you know you're not right. mature you're, you're learning things and i do i wish maybe i was a little bit more social at times eh, a tiny bit but i don't regret it because it made me who i was today sure no I, you know there's always a, a cost right to anything mm-hmm. you you get involved in you know uh so i i always like whenever i got involved in anything I was always like, oh, this is cool. I like the, you know, I'm hanging out with people because I'm right. you know, gregarious and social. 
But then I was like, oh, I have to go to a stupid meeting. <laughs> you know, it was always like there was a, a yep. pro-con thing, right? So I can definitely, you know, sympathize with your, mm, I don't want to, you know, get into that because I know that person's a drama queen or this guy is just, you know, I get it. Yeah. And then to the loud part, um, like I said, it was kind of oh, quiet, right. kind of loud. Like Interesting. when I was, you know, it, out and about or involved with other people, it wasn't like I was shy, you know, right. like... I might have come off of that to a stranger, but with my friends and other people that I would let in, it was just totally opposite. But I just didn't want to be like out and about with like all that other stuff. Like it just seemed trite to me a little bit. And then mm. kind of like what you said, you're like, oh, now I got a job with this. I don't really want that right now. <laughs> right. You know, like I'd rather go read a book or watch a movie or go listen to music and, and figure those things out. So, mm. yeah, I think we're, we're on the same page. It was like, we were always sort of like uh, outside the core group of friends. We were like toe in. Uh, yeah. Do, that be, <laughs> do we like this? Oh, <laughs> right. Right. Yes. I'm with you. Okay. So I'm assuming there was a, a college experience somewhere uh, after high school. There was. Yes, there was a college experience. That's for sure. Okay, cool. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> so um, my entire family um, had gone to Penn State. Um, okay. Now, I did very well as a high school student, and right. I think it's because the school I went to was a very good high school and had a lot of structure from a standpoint of getting you ready for college, right? Right. And um, But I hated being in a classroom. Like, I just, I was just like, ah, oh, you know, like, it was a chore, like, for me, like, to sit there. And there are certain classes that I love, certain classes I hate, just like everybody else, but... I just like the structure was so stifling sometimes that I was just like, ah, you know, mm. I don't know what I'm going to do with this college thing. My parents and especially my mother never thought that I would get, make it past one year of school. Really? Um, wow. I did not, I was not really good. I don't like people telling me what to do. Hence owning my own business. Um, <laughs> but I never, really yeah, that's was a trend. On, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it is <laughs> never really big on, anybody telling me what to do. Not that I was a know-it-all. I mean, I, there's certain things when you're growing up that you feel like you know it all, right? Right. But you quickly learn those things. Not that I wasn't open, but she was like, man, and she said, like, after my first year of college, and I was definitely going back for year two, I remember we went out to lunch, and she was just like, I'm really shocked. And I was like, oh, why? She's like, I'm just shocked that you're still, you're still going to school. She's like, I thought that after your first year you were going to come tell me that you wanted to work for your uncle and landscape and just leave school behind. Uh -huh. And I was kind of sitting there thinking, well, I That's was thinking idea. that, but <laughs> I'm, having a, I'm having a really good time at college because uh, okay. I, my college experience, I went back to speak to the business club after I graduated years after I graduated. And I just remember it after everybody left, like, professors and everything and they just like okay you know here we go after they did the introduction and it was just students i was like do you guys want to hear like how i got out of this place do you want to hear like what i figured out and what i had figured out was i had one professor um early on dr verney and um he had said you know he had said d is for diploma and he kind of said it tongue in cheek. Okay. And I remember afterwards. <laughs> I like it. I, I like it already. I know, I know. I know. Afterwards, I went and I just kind of said to him, I was like, this is pretty interesting. Why do you say that all the time? And he's like, well, he's like, you know, he's like, you think about grades and you think about that. And he's like, you want to think about your experience, but you also want to learn what you want to do. 
So I started looking at it from a standpoint of like, how do I get out of college? But then how do I just, you know, graduate? Because all your electives like biology and chemistry and all these other things, part of it was I had learned a lot of it in high school because it was pretty advanced in my high school. When I got to college, I went to Shippensburg and I'm not knocking ship, but the state school from a university level wasn't advanced as my high school. Right. And right, right. I right. was frustrated. Because a lot I of those kids are in catch up mode, basically. Yeah, exactly. I, I had the same experience. Yeah. So yeah. I was kind of like, well, F this, you know, like. <laughs> you can like, say the F bomb if you want okay, to. Okay, good. I was like, well, fuck this because why am I going right. to do this? And I, he had said, he's like, you know, just do really well in what you want to do and then figure out the math and graduate. And that's what right. I did. <laughs> right. I bombed, oh, like, so you basically hacked college a little I bit. I hacked. College, right? I love and it. And if you look at my, you can look at my transcripts. It's kind of funny. You'll see A's, B's, and a sprinkling of C's in my business courses. Right. But for the most part, I graduated with like a three something, so like a B plus average. Right. And then if you look at the other stuff that I did, it's like, wow, like, is this guy even functioning like as a human, you know? <laughs> Because it was like I, I would figure out like, OK, I need like a 52 on this exam. Like, how do I get the 52? And just to keep the average so I get like a C or even a D. And then I was like D for diploma, you know, and um, <laughs> and it worked out and it worked out. And but really what worked out, to be honest, like all that side, that's kind of a hack and joking. Right. Was I was very social in college. Um, I hung out with a ton of different people. Um, of all different backgrounds. I met so many different people, but I went into my advisor and I said, look, I'm like, my grades are, are what they are. How do I make sure I get a job? And he was like, well, he's like, well, what do you like to do? I'm like, I like to work, you know, like I'm landscaping and I'm not shy of hard work. And he had said, okay, we'll apply for these internships. And I was one of the few people that were applying that had like real work experience. I lucked the only way I can think of is I lucked in. I did really well in the interview and they just liked me because I was talking about real stuff about showing up to work rather than what experience are you going to give me. Mm, and I got right, this right. internship that turned into the second internship that turned into the third, the fourth, and the fifth. Okay. And without those internships, I, I would have probably had a, a tough time getting a job even in a hot job market in the late 90s. Okay. Um, because my grades were lousy and I just like appeared as like a lousy student if someone looked at my transcripts. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I wound see. up doing the internships, doing doing really well. I like once I figured out how I was gonna graduate, I actually extended one of the internships so I could work closer to thirty hours a week and took two classes and just strung out my senior year to a full year rather than a half year. Okay. Um, and I went to school for five full years, but I completed all these internships. So when I started sending my resume out, I was like, you had tons of experience. Yeah. <laughs> and right. That's how I hacked college. And outside of that, you know, just to close the loop when I went back and I spoke to the students and it was so funny. I'm like, I was laughing for like the first three, four minutes and they were like, well, why are you laughing? And I'm like, I can't believe they can't ask me to come back here to speak. And um, they're like, well, I'm like, there's two buildings I spent most of my time in, and neither of them are on campus. And they were like, oh, well, where were they? And I'm like, one was uh, Orkies, and the other one was Maxies. And they're the two bars. And I'm like, I shot pool and talked to people and hung out. And yeah, 
even in the middle of the day, like a blast, you know, and they were laughing about it. And I said, well, the reality was, you know, and I said, I don't advise this, but I figured out how to graduate. But I also worked my ass off to get the internships and I worked a ton during those internships to get the right experience. And then when I was interviewing people, and at the time I was a headhunter and head of talent acquisition when I was speaking back to the students, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's what we look for. And we don't really care what your favorite class was. We're going to ask that question. Well, we don't give a shit. Like we just want to <laughs> see like, where you are yeah. in terms of putting this with, um, you know, with like your life experience to date. Mm. But ultimately if you give me somebody that got, a two, you know, just barely graduated and had like three or four internships versus somebody that was an A student had no real experience. I'm leaning towards the C student as a potential person. Right. Um, and that was eye opening for them and they had a blast talking about it. And I, I had, I sat there for like about another hour, almost an hour and a half afterwards ask, answering questions. And I was like, ah, this is pretty cool. It like resonated with them and it was yeah, yeah. just telling truth you know right right <laughs> that's great though i i can imagine all of the the college professors are cringing right <laughs> I know. they're like oh the, shit <laughs> i know you know what that's where i will say the, the college professors that i did have um in my management classes were not full of shit okay and well that's good they came from real world i have to give credit there um, they came from real world jobs. They all had jobs for right. many, many years before they were college professors at, mm. at Shippensburg. And um, that part really was cool because they taught from experience, not from theory or book. Right, right. Every other class I had was basically theory or book. I was yeah. just like, oh my God, you might as well just, so like, why the hell am I even here? This is just like, yeah. I don't need this. You know? I went so anyway. to uh, University of Phoenix and, they, and they're one of those, the first uh, online slash um, for profit schools. So they take a lot of crap about being, you know, like a, a, a diploma factory. And, you know, they are a little, uh, because they, they basically accept anybody that can pay, <laughs> exactly. but, but, but on the, on the good side, you know, I'll, I'll say that they have a policy that says all the instructors must be working in the field. Yep. I do remember that from their and marketing. That is amazing. So I finished my uh, my bachelor's degree in psychology after I retired from the Air Force. So I had, you know, way more than the first two years of college done already through two, 20 years of messing around taking college classes here and there. So they accepted all of those transfer credits. So I basically in a year and a half finished the core of a psychology degree. But all of those people had jobs in psychology one way or the other. So mm-hmm. most of what we did in class was just pick their brain about their jobs, <laughs> which was great, you know, except for maybe the, the stats class that was all about <laughs> stats. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to bullshit your way through math. <laughs> right. <laughs> you kind of basically just have to learn how to do it, but she was extra cool because she let me, uh, she let all of the class. I was only the one to take advantage of it. Use Excel. As long nice. as as long as uh, she could look at the formula and see yep. that we had figured it out, that was cool with her, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and I was like one of the first ones going through because obviously similar in age, not too far off that we were allowed to do the same thing, which I was like, 
we're not even gonna have to study this stuff like in the future because you're just gonna have this available. All right. You had to understand the theory. You had to right? know, right, exactly. Which, you know, the thing is though, I think it's important because somebody will come up to you someday if you're in that scenario and say, Hey, who can set up uh stats yeah. using Excel? It, and now you've done it before. You know, it's not brand new. You know, you know, yeah. And a good friend of mine, an old college roommate, who's actually a professor now, um, and it, he worked on a ton of different things. He was explaining to me um, Common Core, right? Right. Okay. And yep, I'm familiar. Okay. Like I'm watching some of this stuff online. I didn't get it when he explained it to me from the theory behind it, which I can't explain. Nor am I going to do on this podcast. Right. But when he explained the theory, I was like, oh, that's not much different than when we were taught to do this, this, and this. And he goes, exactly. He's like, where it gets bent out of shape is people people aren't looking at it. It's another way to explain the theory of, hey, you have 12 marbles. If you take away three, you have nine. But what if I take away six and add five? You know, like and start to get more complex, but you have to understand the theory behind it. And he's like, certain people will resonate with it, certain people won't. But when he explained the teaching theory behind it so that you would know in the future, mm. I was like, oh, so people are just explaining this wrong. And he goes, that's the issue. <laughs> and I'm like, uh-huh. so like to your point, like, and I'm not sitting here like, hey, I'm pro this or pro that. I'm just right. When when you start to dive into that theory and not just relying people on utilizing their computers or their phones, you right. have to reach people in different ways. And this might be part of the evolution or not. I'm by no means an expert. But to your point about explaining like Excel and all that, yeah, it's the theory. You need to understand that. You need to really work through that. So always interesting when you hear about people's different experience in education and where it leads to them. Oh, yeah. You know, I lucked out. Um I took, I grew up in Michigan and I think my senior year, I had a, a class that was called business cluster and mm-hmm. the, my major prod project for the year and my senior year was the, the instructor that was in charge of the computer people. He just, he had a, a bunch of uh, books, you know, those big ass computer books that you get in bookstores and they're all about one thing. and it's like you know he was like so we each all of us our us computer geeks had to grab a book and then use the book to teach ourselves that thing and then and then make something cool that was that was our big project so mine was lotus one two three I know, you're probably yeah. old oh, enough to I know that. For, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which That's was where I learned. That's where I learned all spreadsheets and all that stuff on. And then yeah. I remember they were like, well, I forget why we were using Lotus because it, at the it time, was the, I think it, was it was the thing. More advanced. It was like the, the first, shit. it yeah. was the first spreadsheet, uh, right, I think that, that really got major, uh, adoption, I think. And I think it was the one that had the most, um, functions and built-in formulas and all that for complex business stuff. Right. Right. Oh, it just turned accounting and all that, you know, complicated math crap on its head. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was awesome. You know? So yeah. Uh, so that, I mean, to this day (laughs) in every job I ever get, that is still beneficial. And, and, and mostly because 
there was no structure outside of that book. You know, it was just like, read a thing, do a thing, read a thing, do a thing, read a thing, do a thing. <laughs> yeah, back when you used to learn software yeah. from a book. Yep. Right, right. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. It was fun, actually. If you were interested in becoming really, really good with that, um, and you would be able to take and read the book and then start implementing piece by piece. There's part of me, as much as I love my iPhone that's intuitive and I get into it, there's part of me that does miss that in the fact that mm, right. you don't have the foundation. And I find that in in working with small businesses uh, sometimes where I'm like, okay, it's not just as simple as logging on to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and then just starting this. Like, You need some of these basic principles to get started it would essentially be like going into Lotus one, two, three and being like, okay, I'm just going to dump all of my business data in here and not know a damn thing about any of the functions or what it's supposed to do and just be like, okay, here's all the data. I just threw it all up in here. Now what? And expecting it to work. Um, and it's, <laughs> right, it's right. pretty fascinating because right. I go back and I think about it and nowadays you don't even get any book or instructions with anything. Right. Um, right it's just right. like intuitive or you just start to figure, figure it out. out. Right. And there's something to be said about technology there, but at the same time um it's pretty fascinating to me that when you go back and you think about like man, I remember those books and they were thick yeah. and they weren't even the dummies books. They were just no. Boring, yeah, boring yeah. stuff. Anyway, every little, every every little thing you could do uh, in in a, in a spreadsheet, there was like an exercise, you know, step by step. You know, all you had to do is read it, and then you had a functional spreadsheet with you know, and you kind of like learned the concepts as you were doing it. You know, it was it was fun. It was you know, learn by doing, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, what was your uh, what was your first job if you had one? After college, it's probably job, came from one of those internships. I bet it kind of did. Okay, um, so I graduated in I had a degree in business administration with a concentration in um, basic management and human resource management, which was relatively new in the nineties. Right, um, coming out of personal, but personnel or whatever you wanted to call it. Um, but I liked it because of um, the 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 people aspect of it, not from dealing with people, but from the psychology piece. And I gravitated towards that. And I took, I wanted to find a job. My first job, I was a little bit picky about it. I just didn't want to take a sales job or I didn't want to do, um, you know, something that was just like your quote unquote, Oh, we'll put you in the management trainee program. Right. And I went to Franklin Mint federal credit union and it was a small credit union, but I got, to do so many things for a young professional. I got to do payroll and learn about benefits and interview people and hire people and workers comp and got to do all these neat little things. I, it, what was great about it and the reason I wanted that type of job is I wanted to learn what I liked in that profession and what I hated in that profession. Right. And it took about six months to figure out what I liked and what I hated. <laughs> um, right, right. And... That was like, but that was the purpose of the job. And I turned down some, some pretty cool jobs at some pretty neat little potential companies, um, in the late nineties. And I just looked for this little thing and I look back on that, um, because I left there to pursue more recruiting, which is what I gravitated towards. Okay. But I had a lot of great managers and people that were looking out for me, not just as a, uh, 
professional, but a person. And it was a nice first job. Um, didn't pay much, um, but that's like everybody's first job. Right, but right. It gave me like a mini foundation to at least uh, start off on my career for sure. Well, you, you learned what you wanted to not be good at, right? <laughs> Number what one a, was payroll. Like right. I was like, Right. This. Like, yeah. Well, and the thing is, is everybody's so sensitive about uh, payroll stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when you're in it, you know, it's oh. just like any mistake is just like, you know, you could get it everything right for years and years and years and years and years and you make one little <laughs> mistake. It's like IT, right? Then mm-hmm. they, they never tell they never say thank you for keeping the network up 364 days. But on that on the three hundred sixty fifth day, when there's a hiccup, you're an asshole. <laughs> you are. <And> yeah. <laughs> I made after doing so. I did payroll on my own so twenty nine times. Um. So a year and a few, a yeah. year and six weeks. It was by you know every other week. Right. And um, I remember I made one mistake, big mistake. Sure. I missed some minor ones, which are easily rectified. Like, hey, you missed the one overtime hour by you know by one hour. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's okay. Do you mind if I just throw the extra hour on next week and I'll just write it and I'll let your manager know? And oh yeah, that's no problem. Right. The one that I screwed up was with one of the executives, and it was with the bonus and then four hundred one k and where it was going. And you know, this is like big tax ramifications when you when you right. get a bonus, oh, yeah, so you yeah. dump it, max out your four hundred one k, and then. Yeah all this other stuff. And I'll never forget, like that was like the last straw for me. I was just like, I just like, I did this for so many weeks, like perfectly minus these little teeny tiny mistakes that were easily rectified that anybody right. would miss. Right. And I just remember him like being unhappy, rightfully so. Like it's a big deal. And it was one of his first ones coming up in within the company. But I just remember walking out of that meeting and I'm like, you know, like, Go, like get bent like all it was was one <laughs> get I mean, bent i love it it's like one 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 little thing but then i went back and i was thinking i'm like but you told me you wanted it the other way and i'm like which one is it you know and then i went back and i was thinking and, and then i looked at my notes which i keep a notebook with me all the time so when somebody says something i i take a lot of notes and i went back and i looked and i'm like no he wanted it this way and then told me i did it wrong and i was like I'm okay if you need it fixed. But then like my manager was there, like the president of the company was there, like and all these all people are drawing fault, attention. Right? It's all my fault. And right. Like and then they're gonna throw me under the bus as best way possible to make sure this is all smoothed out. And I was like, you know what? No. And I was like, that's when I really figured I'm like, you gotta focus on what you're good at because life's too short like to worry about like mundane, you know, stuff like this where right. You know, you're gonna make mistakes in anything you do. Nobody's perfect, but right, right. Let's start thinking about things on a broader perspective. And it was that moment where I was like, "All right, it's time to to change gears here." Yeah, no, for sure. There's definitely jobs out there that are typically, like I said, you know, like every day, you, you never get credit for doing it perfectly. <laughs> no. Right, and then you're a war criminal <laughs> with the right mistake. Yeah, I know it's nuts. Uh, that happened to my wife just recently. So, and they actually got so upset at her that, uh, and it was just, you know, just like a minor thing. It was her fault. I mean, really? But I mean, she's been working there like 13 years doing mm-hmm. payroll and this was like the first major mistake. 
And of course, again, no thank yous. <laughs> so yeah, I get it. Yeah, and it, and you know, not that I look for a pat on the back on everything that you do. I'm not. Right. I don't. No, those need are that. nice. Where do, I, where do I want that? But they're right. nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's like the basic stuff, and it, it actually applies to more and more. I see it in business and in stuff that we do. Is people when things are perfect, they don't say a peep. Right. And things are rolling. They're like, "Yeah, this is great." Mm-hmm. That's the expectation. Like, ah, right. This is cool. And then you start doing something good or even better on top. And then it's just like, hey, this is like a one time thing that we're going to do. Um, are you okay with it? Sure. You know, and we're like, look, there could be some different um, types of responses. There could be some things, but we think it'll really work out. Oh, no, that sounds great. Okay, mm-hmm. awesome. Then it works out great, let's say. And then they're like, well, why can't we replicate this each month? And then you're like, well, we just went above and beyond to do it as a test. Like, we'd like to do that, but, you know, it's going to cost you X if we continue to do that. And we kind of told you that before we wanted to do it, and we'll see what happens. Mm. Oh, well, the, and then it's like it turns into this whole thing. Like, oh, you upset that right. apple cart because yes. you plant seed. And uh-huh. it's the same thing. It's the same analogy. It's just always interesting to hear. Right. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> you get a you get a whole different dynamic when it's client uh client no. whatever you know service provider client relationship it, yeah you get you get like so many different things on both sides it's it doesn't necessarily matter um you know whether it's a client relationship or an employee employer relationship because at this, the same time, there's like a lot of things that go in there. Like everybody, everybody carries their own baggage, good, bad, or indifferent, into it, right? Right. And then they have different expectations, even after you get off the phone with them. Even if it's illustrated, PowerPoint presentation, dog and pony, pow, you know, right. YouTube videos. <laughs> right, right. They leave that and they say, this Every, is going to be awesome. Everybody's got this. their own page and it's never the same. And, <laughs> and we, yeah, and we leave because we're like, this is going to be awesome because of this. Right. And they come back and their expectation is totally different based on what we thought it would be. But we're on the same page. And it's just like, wait, what were you expecting? Versus what we did. And <laughs> a lot of times it just relates back to the payroll thing is going, well, here in my notes, you said that you wanted 45% dumped into the 401k and then the other 55% you wanted to be paid out in two pieces. But now you're telling me you wanted all to go in the 401k to max. Like, and then you're like, okay, well, where would we miss on the same page here? Because you told me this versus this. And it's like, oh, you wanted... 55% versus 45. I'm sorry, that's just an, a misunderstanding. But the expectation is that you would figure that out for them, right? <laughs> and it's like, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a mind reader for your expectation. So if you right. don't communicate that clearly. Right, right, right. And it's just asking the extra follow-up questions and nothing's ever perfect, but mm. you can develop that with any relationship. And it just comes back to creating those communication lines. Mm, for sure. So how many jobs did you work before you uh, ended up starting your business? So I started, um, I left the credit union. I went to a engineering firm where I was kind of a quasi head of their college recruiting. Oh, okay. I did that, I did that for about eight months. And uh, who's now a friend of mine tapped me on the shoulder 
um, and said, hey, we have a startup uh, staffing firm in the information technology world. And um, it just had been like cross paths. He went to Shippensburg, graduated about nine years before I did. And there was a couple other common themes. And we just hit it off one night talking over dinner as like a mini interview. And then um, I started there and it was genuinely a startup. And we went from zero to 12 million. I spent five years there. Wow. And um, yeah, it was a long, long Those are stint. exciting, right? And it was exciting and fun. And a I lot learned, of work. I learned a ton. I, I, I talked to those guys regularly and um, it was fun. But it, at the end of five years, it was time for me to go for a variety of reasons. I went into consulting for three years and um, that was kind of like being in my, my own boss. And right. in 2002, is where I really started side businesses. Um, I had the side hustle before it was called the side hustle. Sure. Because I knew I didn't want to work. Um, I didn't want to work for somebody for my entire life. And when I was with um, Insource, which was the name of the company, with a staffing company, when I was there, it was nice to see that like people were actually doing what I what I originally really wanted to do. And I just started doing marketing on the side. And when I went to doing consulting, I started doing more marketing on the side. Then after my consulting engagements wrapped up and I was laid off, I um, did more marketing on the side. Right. And I took one last gig um, at a company called Click. It's called Click Now. It was Click View when I joined them in the business intelligence software space. I joined them right before they went public and was um, again in a talent acquisition role. And I traveled the world and saw a lot of different things and met a lot of different people. And right when I started there in March of 2010, we started Bad Rhino in August 2010. And me and my partner um, worked so that he would do the bulk of the work in getting it started, but I would lend my expertise. He had a lot of expertise in certain other areas. And I basically worked like mad um, for about a year and a half so that I could leave. Um, I didn't know when I was going to leave. Unfortunately, I had some personal issues come up where it like, forced my hand a little bit, which right, was a right. good thing, but it was like a little bit unexpected. And then, um, you know, I was off to the races with uh, Bad Rhino ever since. So how did you, what's the story of coming up with the name Bad Rhino? That's got to be interesting. <laughs> well, the one reason that we keep it um, is because people ask that question. <laughs> and that's right. like one of the main reasons I kept it and we kept it, I should say, not just me. Um, but wait a minute. Now that, that means there's two stories here because there must have been a time where you didn't want to keep it. <laughs> no, no, that's not entirely true. Okay. Um, but I'll tell you the whole, I'll tell you the whole story and that'll make sure. a lot more sense. Yeah. So my, um, Rich, who's my business partner, who's awesome. He and I had met each other at InSource. Okay. Uh, he was really young. He was still in college. I think he just started graduate school when we hired him. Um, and, um, he and I kept in touch after I graduated. Then he went and worked at um, Oracle. And once he got laid off there, because he was with another company that Oracle acquired and then they laid everybody off, he started a blog. And the blog was going well. That's when we reconnected, like around 2007, just talking about like what he was doing and how he was like keeping everything rolling since he got laid off. Okay. And then um, 
with the blog, he did really well and got mentioned in Wall Street Journal and Career Journal and was on readers in Reader's Digest on Sirius XM, started like one of the biggest Twitter chats at the time. Wow. He did a lot of cool things. And I, when I started at Click, I needed somebody to help me out because there's a ton of work and I got approval to hire somebody. So I called Rich first and I said, hey, I know you're looking for some part-time work while you're trying to figure stuff out. Uh, why don't you come work for me? And you know, you know, it'll be easier to work for me, et cetera. Um, cause you know me and mm-hmm. it just worked out. <clears throat> so then we started talking and one day he came in my office and this is where the name starts to come in. And he said, Hey, I got this idea for a business. And at the time I was like, I still have my side thing, but I kind of put that on the shelf a little bit. Right. But I was like, I was already thinking about what my next plan would be, but I was also thinking, Hmm. Well, I wonder what Rich has to say because I do respect him and I know he had a lot of things going on in terms of his blog. Right. And he said, people keep asking me how I developed and built this thing and built an audience and built um, a crazy big following on social media. And he's like, to be honest with you, I know, but I don't know. And I said, okay, what are you thinking? He's like, well, I keep having these people ask me. And I need to have a response, but I'm thinking about forming a company and this would be my business. And I'm looking down at my desk and on my desk is how do you formulate a social media marketing plan for employment opportunities within Click? how to leverage like social media, how to do all this. And he's talking and I'm looking at that on my desk and I'm like, huh, this might be something. Right. And <laughs> I said, Rich, I said, look, I said, I have a limited amount of time. I'm traveling all over the place. But if you come up with a cool name, I'll help you get started. And at that point I was like, I'll, I'll help him just like map it out in his mind and, and do all that. Who knows? Like, right. So Rich is very thorough, which makes him a great business partner for me because I'm not at times <laughs> <And> certain things, <laughs> I, certain right. things I am and other aspects I'm not. Right. So he goes, all right, cool. He's like, well, that sounds good. And I'm thinking he's going to like being as thorough as he is two weeks for him to just come up with the perfect set of names to really start talking about. He comes back in 45 minutes. He writes down 12 names on my whiteboard. And two of them I can remember. The other 10 I can't remember for the life of me. One was Bad Rhino and the other one was Moosehorn. And obviously (laughs) we went with Bad Rhino. And we started from there. We started building everything. We had our first client in November. And then we started really putting some pieces, excuse me, pieces together shortly thereafter to build what it's become today. And about a year into it, you know, I said to Rich, when we first started and kind of put the pieces together to be formal, I said, eh, I don't know if we're going to keep bad Rhino. Do you? And he's like, ah, I don't know. And fast forward, I was at a marketing conference um, with some old agency heads and some highfalutin people in the marketing agency world. And this guy pulls me aside and he's like, I just want to say, he's like, all the stuff that you did to really come up with your name, your color scheme, your logo, all this stuff. He's like, it's just, phenomenal how did you do that you must have spent so much time you have a a rhino it's hard charging you put a bat in front of it your logo reflects that the color scheme works that you must have spent hours of market research and all that and in my back of my mind i was like if this guy's telling me this and here's what we did is we sat in an office we came up with a name in 45 minutes we said okay black and red looks kind of cool we fibered our logo, which we still have. Um, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then we came up with a handful of cool things yeah. uh, to wrap around, like this, some of the story and some of the rhino pieces. I was like, 
ah, that's pretty good. You know, like we're on to something in terms of what we're doing. Right. And uh, we've rolled with that ever since. So that's the whole story. It's some people was like, oh, you need to come up with something that's really cool. Like you're on safari and make up a story. I like that story more because it's real and it's the truth. There for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard uh, the story of, uh, of MailChimp, right? Um, it's mm-hmm. not as good as yours to tell you the truth, but yeah. <laughs> when, when they, when they came up with the MailChimp idea, they, uh, chimpanzees were on tv a lot <laughs> so yep. chimps were just really popular right and they wanted mail in there so they just said oh mail chimp right and then fast forward they kind of like thought it was silly you know mm-hmm. and kind of not very grown up but they were kind of stuck with it and then you know of course now they're happy with it because they're used to it but there was a time where they just hated it a little bit <laughs> You didn't get there, right? You were you were just like meh. It's it's meh, right? Maybe we'll change mm-hmm. it. Maybe we'll keep it until you've got feedback and people actually really dug it. I really like it. I have a a, yeah. a buddy, another guy that was on the show. Uh, he is nuclear chowder marketing, right? And it's nonsensical, but it makes such a really big image. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Hey, I love it. Good story. So Thanks. before we wrap, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, you and how you got into craft beer, because that's just okay. <laughs> I did, too, you know, but everybody's got a different story. So did, did you like bad beer for a while? I'm a drunk. No. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Uh, yeah. I'm drinking right now. <laughs> exactly. Um, how to get into craft beer is a great, great little thing. So it was all it was i was always the guy that would um try new beers all the time like okay. didn't matter where i was like some were good some were bad i would always uh, i just um i would always try different things like i never wanted to just have like oh everybody's having a miller light oh the miller light you know like i was right. like oh well what's this beer and they're like oh that's like our local brewery that was you know not really the best beer but hey they make this lager it was pretty good right and then um, in the 90s, remember that first boom of craft beer mm-hmm. um, that kind of came through that first wave where you had all these little brew houses popped up, which they were good, but they were eh, they were just kind of capitalizing more on a theme for a restaurant. But I remember coming out of that, like um, having like a handful of beers that had been around since like the late 70s, which were like true craft beers, like Sierra Nevada. It's been around okay. for a yeah, long yeah, time. Yeah. Right. And um, so around like 2007-ish, <clears throat> a friend of mine um, brought over a case of Anchor Steam. Mm, and I like Anchor Steam. It's good. Yeah, it, you know, it's like, it's, I wouldn't call it, I mean, it's, you know, a smaller brewery. I don't know if right. it's like be craft per se at the time, like, because there was always craft brewers around, but it wasn't like this phenomenon that you see now, right? Right. And we have Victory Brewing, which is local to me, and a couple others that were floating around, like Yards and Philadelphia and Dogfish down in Delaware. They've all been around for a long time, but there wasn't like any mass appeal. Like I would show up at a restaurant and be like, oh my God, they have they have Victory on tap. I'm getting one, you know. Right. <laughs> okay. It was more like that, you know. Right, right. And I just started drinking these things and I was trying different things and I really liked just trying beer, like much like you do wine, you know? And right. okay. I was like, just want to taste. And then they did like food pairings and I just got into it. And 
it was just like a passion to try new beers, you know, it wasn't like, Hey, I want to go drink 20 of them. Right. Right. It's just wanted to try them all like, and mm. have the different things and, and different tastes. And after doing it now and like, you know, trying all these different beers, um, and all over the country, I've had a blast, like just learning the stories behind them and right. like Lagunitas book. If you've ever read the guy that started Lagunitas, I think his name is Tony. I can't remember uh-huh. Um, um, his last now name. I, now I have to check it out. <laughs> it's a great book because, and you listen to, on on Audible, and um, it's great because it's kind of like the guy, I don't know whether he read it or somebody else, but it feels like it's coming right from him, you know? Yeah, and yeah. It's a blast to, like, listen to, and it's just like, you know, this is really cool in terms of, you know, how like it came about and like how they're naming beers and the company culture and the good things, the bad things and the risks he took and, um, all that, you know, it's just, you know, fun, like to listen oh, it to is. It's a blast. what I find with small business. And I'm a big, my Achilles heel in business is I love small business and then I want to help too much. <laughs> right. And they may not be set up. And a lot of the time that, I look at craft brewing is like, man, if you guys just had like this little bit of direction here, yeah, this could take off. And that's where like the, I wanted to research more beers, not only drink them, but learn where their story came from. And I never really thought about it from a business aspect. And I was speaking at an event for the Pennsylvania restaurant and lodging association. And, I started talking about social media and how it can help your restaurant. And in the crowd was uh, Bill Kovaleski and some other people from Victory. Bill was the founder of it. Wow. And a week and a half later, I got a call from their marketing team. And about another week and a half later from that, they're hiring us as a consultant. Wow. And that's tied the business part together to a passion of mine. And um, I have the book that's out, Great Beer is Not Enough. And I've been you know, working, slowly working with some other small breweries. And we're going to you know, launch a little lead campaign. We don't want to work with hundreds of them. We want to work with a handful and sure. help them get started and really interact with their community appropriately. But also... So, you know, be profitable, you know, no, nobody likes to see a business come and go. No, for sure. Wow. So, so what's your favorite style of beer? Do you have a favorite style or do you like to just mix it up a lot? Yeah. I mean, I do mix it up a lot. Yeah. Um, I do. It sounds crazy because this is just like when you read about everything, I do, I do like IPAs. Of course. Um, and I always have. Yeah. Um, but like the straight up like just pale ales now, I really like mm. that have they're just hoppy enough, but they don't have all the heavy, heavy hops. You know, okay. like some of the IPA. Like just give me an example. Like Ale Smith has a great IPA, one okay. of my favorites. Right, right. They have a pale ale that's very, very similar, but just a little bit lighter. Okay, and it's just like perfect. And I've been really into the pale ales a lot and and drinking those. Um, cause I enjoy having all the taste with, you know, you don't feel like you just ate 10 sandwiches. Sometimes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, and I don't know if you, you probably know this, but, um, so I kind of like have fallen in love with the West coast style. Oh, definitely. Of the IPA. Right. So there are East coast IPAs and they taste a lot different. 
a mm-hmm. lot. I mean, you know oh. they're the same style, but you know the the hops are the hop flavor and the hop aroma on the on the uh, West Coast are like through the roof, <laughs> mm-hmm. a little crazy sometimes, right? <laughs> and then also the uh, the bitterness factor a little bit uh, really beefed up over here in the West Coast. So I mm-hmm. I tried some of the I I know for sure I had a couple of the uh, the dogfish East Coast yep. IPAs and I like them but to me that is like it's almost like a different animal I mean I know it's yeah, still totally. an IPA but it's so different it's like oh IPA East Coast West Coast of which one do you <laughs> it's like they're mm-hmm. they're different you know different uh, I guess brothers or siblings in the same family right. 100%. And that's what yeah. I love about it right. is that um, when you have different beers like that, there's so many things that you can try and taste. And mm. that's what it is. It's like, um, you know, you, if you, <laughs> for anybody out there, it's you know, wondering like, hey, you want to go out and get a buzz on, go ahead, try like a session IPA that's a little bit lighter and, you know, like 4% alcohol. And it's like a normal beer, so to speak. And then, you have like your other ones, you know, it's a regular IPA and it's like 8%. Right. You know? and there's a huge difference between uh, drinking right. two session IPAs versus drinking like a 8% beer. And, um, you know, it, it, to me, like I love the food pairing and some of the other stuff where you can really taste it. Um, I did take a little break for a little while because my palate was like all over the map. Like right. I was drinking something. I'd be like, I don't know what this tastes like. And I drink something else. I'm like, I don't know what this tastes like either. And um, somebody told me it happens in uh, wine and whiskey too. So yeah, I you know. have to do a palate cleanse in between. If you're, if you uh, actually want to taste it, exactly. which is hard to do when you're, uh, when you're sitting in a, in a brewery and sampling mm-hmm. a bunch of really good beer. <laughs> It's also hard to do now, you know, I have a book out, I've been consulting with a couple other breweries and then, you know, so it's like, oh, you got to try this and like, this is what we're trying to convey. And then you're like, okay, I guess I got to try this, you know? (laughs) Right, right, right. No, I get it. It's good though. But that's how it all came about. Well, that's amazing. So yeah, there we go. A thing we share, craft beer, love. (laughs) Well, this has been a blast. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, what you've got going on. So your website is badrhinoinc.com and uh, and you're helping small businesses mostly with social, but it's a full service uh, marketing operation. That's correct. And then say we we specialize small business, but we also have quite a few midsize and even in the Fortune 500 we've been involved with in a consulting area. So we've had a, a wide variety. Um, people ask why we have a wide variety, and it's a simple answer is we haven't really marketed our services that much. Um, we're actually just getting into it year seven, you know, and right. uh, doing wow. things like podcasts and doing some other things because we based it on referral. And we've been able to work with a variety of companies and it's really hard when somebody says, hey, they're a you know a hairdresser and they turn to a local restaurant and say, hey, these guys really killed it for us in a good way. You should use them. And then next thing you know, you're doing social for a restaurant and then they turn somebody else and referral after referral. So it's a testament of the work that we've done, but it also makes it difficult to define a niche sometimes. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's okay. You know, I, yeah, no, it's I, great. I, I'm not a fan of niching, so, you know, you know, it, it's okay. That's a whole other podcast we could talk about, <laughs> both good and bad. I, I feel you there. You know, I know it works. It's just boring. You know, I'm not, you can't argue the effectiveness of a niche, but 
I would just, it would just drive me crazy if I niched. So I can't do it. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. All right, brother. This has been a blast. And thank you so much for being on the show. You have a good one. Uh, you too. Great. I had a blast doing it as well. And it's great format and, and a fun time that went by fast. Yeah, it was a pretty quick hour. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V-double-E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer.